Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. It is really an incredible honor for me to be here with you, my brothers and sisters, my fellow laborers in Christ, those who carry a burden for the strategic ministry of the university campuses in America. I'm just, uh, I just really sense God doing a tremendous work in us, releasing new vision, bringing healing, new anointing into our lives. I have great anticipation as we go back. Good things are going to be uh, continuing and exploding in our lives. I had an opportunity to visit the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church that some of you perhaps have heard. There's been a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit there going on now for the last 14 months. And I spent a week with uh, nine other brothers and sisters from Bozeman there and had um, a very powerful and significant week in God. I'm going to be sharing about that tonight after uh, Lauren finishes. We're going to have a late night session. I'll share some experiences and perspectives that I gained from that, and then we're going to move into a time of ministry And uh, I contacted Harvey and Dennis, actually, to uh, have an opportunity to do this because I, too, felt there were many here that were battle-weary. There are many that need a new refreshing from God. And that's what I experienced in a very, very powerful and significant way, a tremendous inner refreshing of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe the Lord has an impartation for us here that as we leave this conference, we're going to go back with a, a full tank. Some of us are going to go back with a bigger tank to experience and uh, to walk in the authority and power, a greater anointing than perhaps we've ever had before. So I want to invite you to, to consider being a part of that this evening. Will you stand with me this morning? I'd like to join you. Would you join your neighbor's hand, one on the left and one on the right? I'd like you to pray, first of all, for the person on your right. I want you to lift them up to the Lord. Then I want you to pray for the person on your left. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. Now, Father, this morning I ask that you would come with a spirit of wisdom and of revelation upon our hearts, Lord, that we will more understand your heart for the nations, Lord, that we will more understand your heart for university students, and we will understand more strategy that you're wanting to work into our lives, Lord God. I I pray, Lord, for a fresh anointing. I pray, Lord, that there will be an increase of faith that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power of the Spirit who works within us. And I pray, Father, that there will be an explosion of vision that will happen this morning in the name of Jesus. Father, I want to bless my precious brothers and sisters. I want to bless them in the name of Jesus. And I submit myself to you, Lord, that you might speak through your servant now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. As Dennis mentioned to you, I'm a product of Chi Alpha. I came to Christ in 1973. I came as a freshman to Montana State University in 1969, pursuing a degree in electrical engineering. I thought that science and technology could solve all of humankind's problems, and that an engineer made a good salary, and that was the ticket to the good life. And what I experienced in four years of college was God's dealings, even though I didn't realize that. God began to kick out the props from under my life, the things that I trusted in, the things that I had relied on. God just one by one began to knock those out of my life. It came to the point where when I came to my senior year, I was uh, deeply frustrated. I was incredibly lost and incredibly disillusioned with everything that was going on in our society and the government, the war in Vietnam, the establishment, the mistrust, all of the things that uh, we grew up with. It was just an incredible emptiness and void in my life. And I I, I got to the point where I was really afraid that there was nothing ultimate to live for. And it was through a a whole bunch of circumstances, the witness of people, the prayers of people, and God's sovereign working in my life that that I was born again into the kingdom of God. 
And I came to Christ at a concert that was sponsored by Chi Alpha on my campus, a man named Barry McGuire. Well, how many of you know Barry McGuire? All right. He's an old hippie that got converted in 1970. He came to our campus. He did a concert. There was probably 100 people at that concert. There was no altar call. There was, uh, there was really no response time. But while I was sitting in that audience listening to Barry sing, Jesus Christ revealed himself to me. And I heard the Lord speak to me that night. See, Jesus, God, I, I knew about God. I knew a little bit about the Bible. I was raised in a mainline church. So I, I knew a little bit about um, the, the things of God. And I always thought that Jesus was a good guy. I always thought that, you know, uh, you know, that's okay for some people. So I wasn't really against Christ, but I didn't know him. And I didn't see anything relevant ever happening in church. But when that, when I heard Barry sing that night, Jesus came to me and he revealed himself. And I was filled, I think I was filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. Didn't even know what the Holy Ghost was. Uh, I'd heard of the Holy Ghost in my uh, growing up days and I kind of thought it was like Casper the Friendly Ghost. You know, I had no idea really what the Holy, the Holy Spirit was. But I did. I heard Jesus speak to me that night and he spoke to me these words. He said, Dick, follow me. And it's almost like I saw Jesus standing up in front of where the concert had been. And he was standing there in, in this white robe and he just looked at me and he said, you follow me. And that began my walk with Christ now that's been 22 years in, in progress. And, and, I, and I'm still a person in progress. I'm still on this incredible spiritual journey, this incredible adventure of, of finding and discovering the will of God for my life and walking out the call of God that he's put upon my life. It's been an incredible thing. Well, I attended a Youth with a Mission discipleship training school shortly after I became a Christian. And it was the most intense six months of my life. Can you imagine sitting under Lauren's teaching for three months? That's, he was my DTS leader, and so I had this kind of teaching for three months. And it was, uh, it was the most intense time because God was remodeling my life. God took apart all of the false structures, all of the sin, all of the stuff that I had relied on. God was digging deeply, and it was very a very painful time because there wasn't one message that I heard during those three months that the conviction of the Holy Spirit wasn't upon me. And I was just um, literally in pain over the revelation of my sin before a holy and a righteous God. And I thank God for that experience because it's, it's like God did such a cleaning in my life, a lot of restitution, a lot of repentance, a lot of aligning things properly. I felt like you know God took, got this old fish and just cleaned him right out. And, and, and after I had that, that six-month experience, I, uh, I returned back to my hometown a different person found that God had changed my desires, the things that I used to love I didn't like anymore. And I found that I had a passion for Jesus. And all I wanted to do was to minister in his name. So I returned to Bozeman where I had met the Lord at the, through the Chi Alpha group. The campus minister put me to work and I worked as an associate alongside of him, just a volunteer helper. Little did I know that he was grooming me for ministry. I had no idea that was going on, but he was very wise in how he would delegate responsibility. He spent time with me. He also had a tremendous world vision for missions. And so that rubbed off on me. And, and uh, a lot what I picked up in Youth with a Mission was a vision for the world. And I've always carried that ever since that time. And I'm grateful to the organization for that. In 1975, Pastor Snyder resigned, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Dick, I want you to take over the campus ministry. I was 22 years old. I was uh, barely saved for two years. I, I really knew very little about ministry, but the Lord said, Dick, this is what I want you to do. And so in faith, I began to lead the campus ministry. And that year, I drew two other, three other student leaders together, and we spent a day in prayer and fasting and I was asking God, now, now, Lord, you've put me on this campus. And we were at that time just beginning to formulate the Chi Alpha philosophy, which, which we now we really believe in and adhere to. And we believe that that's what Chi Alpha is. It is the living out uh, of the fivefold philosophy. And, and we, were, we were just beginning to discover and to tool that out during those years. And, and so I was committed to that. But I, I said, God, I need to have something from you as to why I'm here on this campus. And during this, uh, this day of prayer and fasting, the Lord spoke to me through a scripture. He brought to my mind Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2, and the, the verses that really stuck out to me were verses 7 and 8. And it says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. And how the Lord highlighted this verse in my life is that God was telling me, he's saying, Dick, I want you to ask for Montana State University as your inheritance. It's like God took a a yellow highlighter and he circled the campus and he said, now, Dick, this is the promised land that I'm giving to you. I want you to go just like Caleb went up and took the, the land in the mountains. God said, this is your inheritance, Dick. I want you to claim this for me. And then the Lord gave me a promise. He said that out of the university, he said, I will send laborers to the nations. I will send people to the the unreached people of the earth. I will handpick people that I will send to you in your ministry so that you can do your part in training and raising them up. And God says, then I'm going to fling them literally around the world. And that, that left such an impression in my heart that day I knew this is why I'm on campus. This is every day, you know, as we're meeting with students, leading small groups, discipling, doing all the things that we do in ministry, there's always that sense that this is something of destiny here. This is what God has called me to do, and this is what, what he, he has really destined my life to be. And I want to I encourage you today that I believe God has vision for every one of us. Now, your vision won't be my vision. You, your, your vision may be quite different. It may not be fleshed out in the same way at all. But I believe that God wants all of us to have a vision of this. Because the Bible says in Proverbs twenty nine thirteen that where there is no vision, the people perish or they're unrestrained. And see, that's what happens if we don't have vision is we tend to get in a rut of just doing ministry day after day, kind of the same old thing day after day. And yes, we know the Bible says to do it, but we can lose a sense of perspective and destiny. And I'm so grateful that God gave me that vision. Now, I didn't begin to unfold for many years. I actually want to tell the story of Vaughn and Sue Golder this morning because it illustrates a number of principles. See, I've been doing this 20 years. I think, wow, that's a long time. But you know, it's really only in the last couple of years that I've really begun to see the vision fulfilled. And all of the lessons, the many, the many years of really not seeing it, saying, God, you know, you said you'd send people to the nations, and yet I'm really not seeing it happen yet. I'm not seeing it happen with the intensity that I want it to see. And all of that was a preparation to, to, you know, to bring my life to to where it is right here today. And if, if I could speak anything to all of you, it's to encourage you to keep keeping on. Because every year is preparation, and it's, it's, a, it's a platform that God is going to do greater things in the days to come. You know, the, Jesus tells us that we're to be faithful in the little things. And isn't it so easy to blow the little thing off? Because it, it's, it's so little, man. This is just a postage stamp. Who, who cares if I borrow this postage stamp from the church? Well, God does. That's one of the things I learned in the DTS is God is extremely interested in the details of my life. He watches my transactions with postage stamps. He watches my my thought life with regards to my sexuality. He watches my attitudes towards my brothers and sisters. He he watches those things. And, and so you may not even know. You don't most of the time know what's going on in my heart, but God does. And Jesus says, you're faithful in the little things, then I will give you more. You know, and so it's, it's really important that we that we're faithful in in these little things. As God gives you vision, water it in prayer. Prayer is the place to water the vision God has given to you. I've spent many, 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 many days in prayer and fasting, specifically for the vision God has given to me over the last twenty years. Many, many hours of prayer and days of fasting and seasons of fasting have been given to that because that's how you keep the vision alive. You water it in your prayers. God has been gracious to confirm this thing in in several strategic points in my life. One happened on my my honeymoon. I was married in 1978. I I led a a ministry team with YWAM in the summer of 77 down in the Yellowstone Park region. We had a team of of uh, nine people uh, from all over the United States and turned out to be nine girls. And so I, I was leading this team of nine girls, quickly became known as the Sheik of YWAM. <laughs> and um, 
we had this really, really an incredible time of ministry. Like, can you imagine, you know, just staying down in Yellowstone Park, hiking trails during the day, doing campfires at night, inviting people over. We did skits and sang and, and preached the gospel. And uh, we, we really saw God do some extremely neat things. Plus, it was just an incredible summer of recreating in God's beauty. Well, one of the women on that team was, uh, was very interesting to me. person that um, I liked the way she lived her life. I, I appreciated her passion for God. And there were so many things that, that I had in mind if I, if I was going to get married. This is the kind of woman that I wanted. And I, frankly, didn't meet many women that met that uh, cri- criteria. So, But here's one that did, and so that got my attention. So after, uh, after the time of ministry was completed and the team is dispersed, I was, I was asking the Lord, you know, Lord, you know, what about this? What's, what's your will concerning this? And the Lord brought a scripture to mind from Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah 55, 12, and it says, you shall go out with joy. Okay, Lord. <laughs> so we began going out, and uh, one thing led to another. And we got married in 1978. Hallelujah. See, God speaks through his word, doesn't he? Hallelujah. <laughs> well, then we got married in 1978. We, uh, my wife was, at that time, had been a school teacher. She was on salary from her teaching job all summer. So we took a two-month honeymoon and traveled all over the United States. Had a wonderful time. We were in California visiting some relatives in Glendale, California, and these relatives encouraged us to go to Forest Lawn Cemetery. So we went up to this cemetery, and in this great big mausoleum-type building, they had these huge paintings. One was of the resurrection, and one was of the crucifixion. So we, you know, we paid our dollar to get in and sat there in this theater kind of setting, and then the lights went down low, and this beautiful music began to play, and then all of a sudden the curtain opens, and there's, there's this huge painting of the crucifixion. And the painting is probably like 60 feet by 30 feet. I mean, it's a massive, huge painting. And it's just, it's, it's just very, very moving. And then the curtain closed again and the music built again. And another painting came down. And then as the curtain parted, the picture of the resurrection pictured Jesus on, on, on uh, the dawn of the resurrection morning. He had just come out of the cave and there was an angel that had pushed the stone away. And Jesus, just as the sun was breaking over the horizon, Jesus had his arms lifted into the clouds. And in the clouds was this cloud of witnesses, this innumerable company of saints. And you could see there were people in business suits, and then there were people from the crusade times, and there were people in the Old Testament times. It was like a a representation of all of the redeemed from all of time. And Jesus was lifting his arms up towards them because that's the reward of his suffering. And as I saw that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me again. And and he said, Dick, this is what you are doing. Your ministry is completing that number. Your ministry on campus, is it's not the whole picture, but I'm doing my part that Jesus gave me to do. You're doing your part to complete this vast company of people that will be with Jesus forever. And so that brought great encouragement to my heart. We read in Hebrews 11, the great hall of fame of faith of men and women that fulfilled their vision in their day. They did what God told them to do. Noah, God needed an ark built in the days of Noah. Noah was faithful to do that. God needed a man to lead the nation out of Egypt. Moses did that. And and what what does God need today? See, for us, God needs men and women on the campus that will disciple and train and reach people. Lauren's vision, this vision that I heard him talk about this, you know, uh, 22 years ago, about this picture of, of, the, of the world. And, and as the waves were washing him on all the continents, he saw those waves turning into young people evangelizing the world. And see, so he hasn't seen the full fulfillment of that. But that vision drives that man, doesn't it? He eats, sleeps. His whole life is a fulfillment of that vision. And I would suggest to you that that's the kind of example that God wants to give to you. I want to give you the story of, uh, of one of my students. And, and I, 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 pr- I, want, I want God to encourage you. I want God to encourage you just, just how incredibly desirous he is of releasing laborers into the harvest. You know, God's more anxious to do that than we are to see it happen. The Father's agenda, his heartbeat is for the nations. I mean, he's just so anxious to do it. Anybody that shows any kind of willingness and saying, yeah, Lord, I'll do it. God just says, all right, we'll do it. In 1978, I met a a tall, gangly ranch kid. His name was Vaughn Golder. This was not the kind of guy that would have much potential. In fact, he 
sporadically attended our fellowship that first year. I just kind of got to know him on a first name basis. And, you know, he just kind of came when he felt like it. And I, I, my first reaction was that this, this guy, you know, he's just a flake, you know, Lord, there's not much potential here, but we need to see things through Jesus's eyes. And see, every year about this time and as spring approaches, I begin to offer prayers to the Lord. And I say things like this. Now, Lord, there are students that are making decisions about universities. And Lord, there are people that you want to send to Montana State University. There are people that you've handpicked that that should come into contact with my life. And so I'm saying, now, Lord, whoever they are, wherever they are, you start ordaining circumstances that they will be here. And then when they get to campus, Lord, ordain connections that they'll meet one of us, see our posters, find our name at a book table, do something that they'll get divinely connected with us. And see, because I say, now, Lord, you're going to release labors to the nations. Now send them. And I intercede and I pray that way. And uh, as I prayed for this man, God began to speak to me. This is one of the people that I've sent you. And I kind of went, okay, thanks a lot, God. You know, there's going to be a lot of work you got to do here. Well, Vaughn went home for spring break. And while he was at home, he went to a meeting and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And that transformed his life. And what began as a flaky, kind of come-when-you-want sort of Christian guy, he came back with a passion for Jesus. And this guy was on fire. And so he began to get involved in our small group ministry. He began to be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a very significant way. And God just was, was doing great things in his life. The next year, I saw something, though, begin to happen. He was really a a, a person that was sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and he would often prophesy in our meetings, and and they they were words that were right on from God. But he also began to write down in a notebook words that God was giving to him, and I saw something begin to happen to him. I saw a root of spiritual pride begin to develop, and he was beginning to build his identity around the fact of, I want to be a prophet. See, I want to give the word of the Lord. And I painfully watched and I labored as this began to happen. And his small group leader came to me one day and said, Dick, I need to talk to you about this particular person. I see a root of spiritual pride and he's into the super spiritual mentality and it's kind of messing up relationships in the core group. I, I said, he said, what do we do? And I said, well, first of all, we really need to go into a season of prayer on his behalf. And we did that for several weeks. And then we came back together and the Lord just showed us that we needed to confront this, that we could not in love let this go. So we we spent a day in prayer and fasting on his behalf, praying that God would soften his heart. And and, uh, we just hoped that the strength of our relationship, the bridge that we had made with him was enough that he would hear us. And so we, we met with him over at his apartment and we confronted him with this problem of super spirituality. And I told him the danger that I felt his life was in because of spiritual pride. And of course, pride is always blinding. You'd never see it. And he said, I'm not that way. I don't see that happening. And we said, Vaughn, we're going to ask you to do something. And we're going to ask you to burn this notebook that you've gotten. Now, friends, there was nothing wrong with any of these. They were just scriptures, you know. They were good words. It was not heresy in any way. But it was the heart of pride that was developing. And, and we told him that we believe the Lord wants you to burn the notebook. And he wept because he said, I, I am burning something precious that Jesus has given to me. I can't do that. But we said, yes, you must. And, and you know what he said? He said, I don't understand this at all. But he said, I trust you and Dan and I'll do it. I, he said, see, I trust you. He didn't understand it. He didn't see it at all, but he did it. Now, something really interesting had happened to him that week. Uh, at fellowship, a girl had given him Psalms 139 and said, I want you to read Psalms 139. I think the Lord has something for you. And the end of that psalm, there's the prayer where David says, search my heart. Search me and try me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And Vaughn prayed that prayer that week. This was the very week we confronted him. And he said, now, Lord, whatever it takes, you have my permission to do it. That if there's stuff you've got to break in my life, at that point, is it was if there are things. <laughs> I mean, that's how unaware he was of this thing. If there are things in my life that need to be broken, I release you to do that. And then that very week, God, the whole timing of God came. He burned the notebook. And then something very interesting happened. You know what Bell's palsy is? 
It's a, it's a problem you get in your cheek nerves. And when you get Bell's palsy, you're literally paralyzed in your face. I had it once for about a week. It happened to Vaughn. The whole um, left-hand side of his face was paralyzed for three months. I mean, he had to use drops because his, you know, his uh, eyelid function didn't work anymore. And in his face, literally, just you know, looked like droopy. You know, and he was not in any pain, but it was just very embarrassing and and just. It's a very debilitating disease. And that went on for three months. And God began to deal with his pride. And he used the Bell's palsy because he just looked so weird, you know, with his half-sunken face and his little kind of half-smile that would, that would pop out. But God, see, began to do a tremendous work of breaking in his life. Years later, I was discussing this event with Vaughn. In fact, it was one of, on one of my trips over to Albania. And we were just reminiscing. I said, Vaughn, talk to me about that confrontation that we did in your life. And you know what he told me? He said, Dick, that saved my life spiritually. He said, I thank you guys for loving me enough to confront me because he said, I would have been gone in the ozone if you wouldn't have done that. And so there, there, there was a strategic thing that happened just through our relationship. Now, God really began to put a missions vision in Vaughn's heart. And when, when that begins to happen, I always look for opportunities for that to be expressed, whether that be through an AIM trip, whether through a, attending a Youth with a Mission school. I found YWAM schools to be very helpful. They're five-month programs. You're not committing yourself to five years or four years of study. It's a very short-term thing. But what you get is you get very practical teaching like Lauren's been giving us. And you get uh, 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 a real training in praying and interceding for the nations, practical teaching on hearing God's voice. Plus, you get a tremendous community live-in experience. And then you get two months of outreach somewhere outside the United States. And so a lot of times, I'll have people that come to the Lord. Man, they are just jazzed. You know, they want to quit school and they want to go serve God. You have people like that? See, that's a, that's a ripe time in their lives. And see, man, they are ripe for a very intense experience. And so what I'll do is, is I'll suggest them to pray about attending a DTS, and many of them have. They've taken off and done five months of work. And then most of them do not stay long-term with YWAM. You know, some do, but most do not. So what I do is I say, well, after you've gone through that, you come back and work with me. And you work under me so that I can take the raw material and the tremendous experiences that they've had and help them to integrate that into everyday life so they just don't get crazy, you know, because they come back pretty excited and then there's a real tendency to be critical of this dead fellowship or this dead church. And you just have to pastor people through that to, to bring maturity into their lives. I think this is an area that, that can really encourage and strengthen our ministries if you're willing to take the responsibility to, to pastor them and nurture them when they get back. So God was beginning to speak to Vaughn about um, about world world missions and particularly the area of Russia and Eastern Europe, and so uh, God spoke to him to, to uh, go on a Bible Bible smuggling trip with Brother Andrew. Back in those days when the Iron Curtain was up, people took Bibles in clandestinely, and he spent a whole summer doing that. And I remember this: uh, he was in Czechoslovakia, Prague, Czechoslovakia, and somehow he lost his visa, and that's a no-no in those countries in those days. You don't lose your visa. And, and he was in this park because he couldn't go back to his hotel because he didn't have a visa. He couldn't get his room. And so he just was panicking. He spent the night under a tree in a, in a park in Prague, Czechoslovakia. And the next morning, the team leader found him. And Vaughn was just in a panic saying, oh, man, I've lost my, my visa. I don't know what's going to happen. And his team leader said something that was just humorous. He said, well, I'm sure God's lost control of this one. And, and it just struck him so funny. They just laughed and laughed. And then they prayed. And the Lord just said, go to the embassy. And Vaughn got his visa renewed. And so it all worked out okay. But, but these experiences, he began to give him real practical insight, begin to, to, to give him concrete images and, and experiences to begin to form a mission, missions vision. I think that having students go on short-term missions is an excellent, excellent strategy. You know, you know really, very little happens on short-term missions in terms of ministry. If we're really honest, there's very little that really... Now, God in his grace uses this. That's why we need long-term people, because discipleship takes place on a long-term basis. But the benefit that I see of short-term work is that it changes people, and they come back thinking, boy, I want to go to China, or I want to do this with my life, and see, it really, it really impacts their life. And even those that don't go into full-time service have a heart, and they are much more likely to give and support those who do go because they've been there. They've seen the poverty. They've seen the barriers. And, and they just can empathize a lot more with people. It, it, the, the people that God does call to go. 
I encourage you to use short-term service. During that time in Prague, Vaughn met another man that, that had, had spent many years in prison for his faith. And he met this man, and this man was telling him how difficult it was. He was doing these Christian youth camps outside of town, and uh, several times the authorities had come, and he had been imprisoned uh, actually for a total of 15 years, and they were being persecuted. His family was being harassed because he persisted in, in doing Christian youth meetings. And, and Vaughn, in his uh, flippant, youthful attitude, just made the comment to this old man, said, well, there's always hope. And this man said, Vaughn, I've been in prison for 15 years. I've been tortured and deprived. And he said, it was in that time that I learned that there's always hope in Christ. And, and, and Vaughn said he just saw how shallow his faith was, how, how, just how shallow his whole Christian experience was and how much depth God wanted to bring into his life. So that left a mark on his life that he'll never forget. In 1981, my wife and I, begin to, to consider community living. And as, as we, we, we really stress discipleship, we believe that a lot of discipleship is just being with people, don't we? See, man, that is such a key for all of us. I've appreciated Harvey's manual and how he's fleshed that out for us. And, of course, Brady and many of you are just doing such a good job with that. And so God began to really challenge my wife and I that we need to have students living with us. Now, that's a real step of vulnerability because, boy, you lose your space just like Kim's song. Way to go, Kim. What a great song. You lose your space. You lose your privacy. And, boy, they get to see everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, don't they? But, see, God began to speak to us. said, Dick, if you really want to impact people, willing to go this. And we said, yes, Lord, we are willing to do that. And so in 1981, we, the Lord enables us to buy a house near the campus in Bozeman, and we begin to have people live with us. And Vaughn was one of the first people of, of three people, uh, actually we had three people living us with us that year. He was one of the people that God impressed that we should live with. And we see, we, we were there together. We prayed every day together for the nation's just the whole dynamic of living your life day by day. We had we got committed ourselves to being up at 6.30. Vaughn got up real early and cooked us breakfast, and we would share fellowship and prayer, a little bit of Bible study, and then we'd all head out to our day. We had always ate dinner together, and we had times of communion on Friday morning that really began to evolve into a time of brokenness and openness where we could really honestly confess our sins to one another. And so I have so many precious memories of those times together. We learn, really learned to walk in the light with each other. And, you know, and it's a two-way street. Not only did I speak into Vaughn's life, but he started speaking into my life. He saw things in me that needed adjustment. And, and I, I received them. I said, oh, brother, you're right. You know, you, you need, you know, I need, really need to work on the area of being more transparent emotionally. And he, he, uh, he worked on me. He said, Dick, you know, you're not loving your wife very well in this area. And so he would speak. And so it was a, it was a tremendously growing experience. It was, it was hard because there's no hiding. You know, and so I, I can't run away. I, I got to face the music on this. But incredible growth took place. Remember Christmas that year, we decided to give each other gifts. But instead of buying gifts, we, we decided that we wouldn't spend any money. We would just come up with creative alternatives to gifts. And Vaughn gave me an envelope that Christmas. And the envelope contained two pieces of paper. One was a piece of paper that says, Dick, my gift to you is that I want to pray for you for the next 30 days. And he says, you simply write down your requests, and I will pray for you every day for the next 30 days. That was a wonderful gift. And then he gave me a letter. And I want to read that letter to you. He gave this to me in 1982, because this is almost prophetic in, in what has happened in that time since. It's entitled, My Friend. The year was 1990. Now understand, this is written in 82, so it's eight years into the future. The year was 1990, and I paused a moment to reflect. I was working with a younger feller who had lots of heart, but was really messed up. I was getting tired of some of his idiosyncrasies and wondered if it was worth all the work. But in reflection, I remembered a friend I used to have who never gave up, though he must have felt like it. He paused to try and understand my heart instead of just watching my actions, as I was a younger feller too. Then some miracle of God happened, and he began to believe in me. It was kind of dumb, but he'd gotten a hold of some love that was more than the world had to offer and wanted to try it. Lots of times, I'm sure, I never knew of the prayers he prayed or the gladness he felt when I began to grow. I was busy making my way in life. But I did mature, and my friend became like a father, 
and stuck to me and released me as a minister who'd, have, who, who'd learned to give also. I guess I hadn't figured how much it took for my friend to give that much until now, and I knew it was all worthwhile. I put my head down and worked with my young friend. God had already proven once that he and one willing heart together could do it. But I'm not sure, though, I could have made it without the memory of Dick. That letter really captures the heart, I think, of what we want to do in Kaiapha. See, that captures the heart of releasing people into missions is that, is that we've got to give them our lives. It, it, you know, it's not enough just to give them techniques. And we need all the techniques, but see, we've got to give them ourselves. We, we've got to model for them. This is the way you live the Christian life. And by God's grace, something happened between Vaughn and myself. And, and he gleaned a model of ministry that in the years to come, he was able to take and reproduce. Vaughn graduated in 1982. He, um, when he was in school, he took language training at, at my encouragement. And if you get someone that has missions, leanings in their heart, get them involved in language study. You are, you are not going to be effective long-term on the field without language study. So he took German and he also took Russian and so by the time he went to the field, he was, he was fluent in both of those languages. And since that time, that has helped him immensely, even as he began to learn Albanian. In 1984, he met a, a wonderful lady in Bozeman. They were married. They attended a discipleship training school together. In 1985, God began to focus him on the Albanian people. Now, at that time, Lauren shared the story, story last night of Riona Peterson. Albania was a closed country. You could not get into that country as an American, and, and uh, it was very difficult for anybody to even get in that country. And so in order to minister to Albanians, he couldn't go to Albania, so he went to Yugoslavia in, in an area called the Kosovo region, and there in a town called Pristina, 90% of the people there are, are Albanians. And so he went there. For the first year, he simply learned the language. And he told me that that was the toughest year of his life because trying to live, I mean, they lived with an Albanian family. They didn't speak English at all. So he had to learn. He and his wife had to learn Albanian. They got it uh, via the crash course method. And he said, after six months, I, I felt dumb. I, you know, he says, he, you know, here he, little kids could out talk me and I could barely keep up with them. It was a very, very challenging year. But they, they made the breakthrough, and then God began to gift them more and more in, 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 their, in their language, and then, then the communication then began to develop. In 1986, something very severe happened. The, the couple that was the team leaders asked them to leave the team. And the reasons they gave were things like, this man has a lack of integrity, this man is not a broken person, this man is self-willed and stubborn, when Vaughn told me that, I, I realized there is a tremendous misunderstanding going on here because that's not the, the Vaughn and Sue that I know. But the, uh, the missions agency stood with the senior leaders and he was brought back from the field from Yugoslavia and they asked him to come and serve in the head office in Pasadena. And so for a year, Vaughn and Sue just simply worked in the office and the people in the mission watched this couple. And during that time, the Lord spoke to him and said, you cannot make one word of defense. And the Lord said, you cannot speak against Vince and Marty, the team leaders. God says, I will vindicate you. And that was a, a year of death and humiliation for them because Vaughn started reading the reports that were sent back. They, they started showing him, well, this is what your team leader is saying. And it was, it was totally lies. It was, it was simply, I, I think it was deep misunderstanding is what happened. After the year that they spent there, the, the, uh, the officials in the, in the mission began to see that there was a terrible gap here, that these people were not unrighteous. They were very wonderful people of integrity. And then at the end of that year, Vincent Marty decided not to return to Albania. And Vaughn and Sue then were least released to be the team leader with the full approval and trust of the leadership of the mission. And so God's really strategically used that in their lives. Friends, there's times when God gives you a vision and then there is a death of a vision. And Vaughn and Sue could not understand, God, you sent us here. You sent us here to minister to Albanian people and now you're sending us home? Lord, what's going on? 
but it was all a part of a divine strategy of, of working character and building bridges of relationship and trust. And God then opened the door so that they became the team leaders in Albania. God will take you through that, friends. See, God gives vision, but then there may be a death of that vision. There, there will be a death of that vision so that he can resurrect it in purity. And it will not be accomplished by human effort. It will be accomplished by his spirit working through you. That's a necessary lesson for all of us to learn. So they walked back and they worked there till 1991. And then in 1991, this wonderful sweep of God's spirit as the Berlin Wall fell and all the Eastern European companies, countries began to fall like dominoes. And God was strategically at work and they received news that the Albanian government had, had opened the doors. And so in 19, early 1991, Vaughn made a trip in there and things were, were very austere and difficult during those days in the capital city of Toronto. There was not enough to eat. The whole infrastructure was totally broken down. Vaughn went in there. God spoke to him and said, I want you to move your family here. And because of the preparation, he now was fluent in Albanian. He now was very, see, not only you understand the language, but you got to understand the heart of the people you're ministering to. Because you can, you can say the right words, but you've got to know their heart. You've got to know their humor. You've got to know what kind of rings their chimes in their culture. And that takes time. That doesn't come overnight. But see, they, they were prepared that way. And he was one of the first Westerners to move into Toronto, the capital city. They moved there in 1991. And, and you've heard reports of what happened. God began to pour out his spirit. And Vaughn, in a few months, was pastoring a church of 200 new converts in Christ. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Let me tell you just a couple of stories. Memley was a secret service man. He worked at the border and he would go through the luggage and confiscate Bibles. You know, it was real interesting. They weren't so worried about drugs. It was Bibles. They said, make sure no Bibles get through. So he, he would go through these searches and uh, the police would put them on a shelf in the back room and they had many of them because often they found Bibles. Well, they got curious about why are these people bringing these books in? Why is the government so afraid of these books? So these uh, these secret policemen, on their when there was a slow time, they'd get back in the back room and they'd start reading it. So they started reading, started reading the book of Matthew. They started reading John. And uh, most of them would read a little and they'd just mock and laugh. But there was something in Memley's heart that said, I, I want to know more about this. And so he, he told me he snuck one. He snuck one for himself and he read the New Testament through five times. And as he was reading the word of God, Jesus began to reveal himself and he became born again with no one, just the word of God interacting. And I got to spend, I, I, I talked with him. He told me this story and he said, my passion now, he's actually retired. He's only about 35, but he's retired. And he said, my passion is to minister to my people. And God's called him. He's an elder now in, in, in the church that Juan pioneered there. Another interesting story. There's a young man named Reddy. And uh, Vaughn had a Volkswagen rabbit and a friend of missionary friend of his had driven up north to a town called Schoder. While visiting a friend up there, this guy named Reddy came and stole the windshield off the, the Volkswagen rabbit. In Albania, thievery is rampant. And boy, you don't leave anything out. You know, side mirrors, windshield wiper blades, you leave it out and it'll be gone. You know, they, they literally in those early years, 1991-92, whole buses would be stripped in minutes. You know, as missionaries would come in and you'd go in to see something, you come back out and <laughs> your car, your tires were gone, you know, your windshield wipers, your side mirrors, anything they get their hands on. So thievery is still really quite a problem there. And so uh, this Christian man who knew Vaughn and, and knew who, whose car it was, after his friend went back to the capital city, he, he went around the neighborhood saying, all right, who did this? I want to find out. And uh, they told him, well, it was Reddy and a friend of his. And so he went and confronted Reddy and said, now, what are you doing? This man is a Christian man. He's a friend of mine. What are you doing stealing his windshield? And, and Reddy was really smitten with sorrow. And he thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the bus to Toronto. We're going to return that windshield to him. And Reddy agreed to that. So they got on this bus, went to Toronto. Toronto is a city of 200,000. They had no idea where Vaughn even lived, but they said, we're going to find him. And they said, Lord, show us. And they met, he met somebody on the street that he knew. And he said, can you tell me where Vaughn Golder lives? And said, yeah, over there. So they went there, got a knock on the door and Vaughn opens the door. And here's, here's this guy standing there with a windshield and, and another Christian man. And and uh, Reddy said, I, I want to return this to you. I'm sorry. I stole it from you. Vaughn said, come on in. Let's talk. 
and he forgave him and he, and he, he told him the gospel and ready came to Christ. Not only did he experience forgiveness from Vaughn, but he experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And his life was cleansed. His life was was washed. And now he's one of the church planters that Vaughn is working with over there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In 1993, Vaughn asked me to come and teach at the first discipleship training school. He's in a partnership with YWAM. And so they've been doing yearly training schools there. And 19 students, this was the first crop of young Albanians. And I had the privilege of, of being there with them for, for about two weeks. And Vaughn also asked me to speak at this church that he had planted. And oh, what a wonderful experience, you guys. It, it's, it's like God affirmed to me the, 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 the vision that he gave to me. And as, uh, as, as Vaughn introduced me, he, and see, he had spoken of me often in his tight teaching and in his discipleship of the leaders. He, he said, now, let me tell you about my friend Dick back in the United States. This is what he did in my life. This is, this is how he taught me how to live the life of the, in the kingdom of God. And so these people had some idea, and there was a, a real sense of expectancy when, when I was introduced, and I, and I felt that there was a heart connection because it's like Vaughn was saying, this is my spiritual father. In fact, when Vaughn introduced me, he said, I would not be here today without because if this man hadn't ministered to me. And so as, as, as he introduced me, they, uh, they gave me a nice round of applause but then it just exploded into this cheer and people stood to their feet and were shouting and yelling. And, and it, was, it was just a moment of affirmation where I saw it. I saw the vision being fulfilled. I saw, I saw this group of young Albanians now that were, that were being discipled by Vaughn the same way that I discipled him. Oh, it was incredible. And these people came to me afterwards and they told me how much Vaughn meant in their life. And they told me the, the vulnerability and the honesty and the humility that he had towards them. And I saw it happening. And now those people, m- many of those people are involved in, in Vaughn's church planting mission. And, th- and they are being spread now around the country, planting churches, winning others to Christ, discipling and training them. But see, they're doing it the same way that I did to Vaughn. That's what's exciting. And so I saw a fourth generation now. So kind of Vaughn is, I'm kind of the first generation and Vaughn is my second generation. His leaders are the third generation and now they are beginning to minister to their fourth generation of people. That's exciting, friends. See, when you do discipleship right, that's the kind of fruit that is going to be born. But see, that that's 12 years later. See, that was many, many hours of uh, just normal relationship, vulnerability, sharing and praying together, not having no idea that he'd ever end up in Albania. I never thought that I'd ever be in Albania, you know, getting to minister to a, to a group of people that uh, someone else had discipled. But see, God was putting that together. That is the power of vision. And that's the, the kind of satisfaction, I believe, that God wants all of you to have. I just spent a week with a young man named Gregor. Gregor is a native Albanian who came to the Lord about three years ago. He's one of the church planters. He had an opportunity to come to the United States and visit. He was down in Mobile, Alabama, and a lady gave him a free ticket, and he could go anywhere. So he gave up a trip to Disney World to come and spend a week with me in Bozeman, and we had a a tremendous week together. Just an incredible week where he got to meet my family and be with me, and I got to show him around the campus, spend a lot of time praying together. It was just, you know, he says, this is a spiritual grandchild of mine. And it was, it was just the most meaningful time I've ever spent, you know. And I, I don't say this, you guys, to exalt myself in any way. I say this to exalt Jesus, that this can happen in your life. See, this can happen in your life. I could give you lots of other examples. We don't have time to go through that today. There's lots of other examples. There's literally people today that are around the world. I got a girl working in the, with the, the unreached people in Vietnam, developing study materials for them. Got a guy who's considering working with Procter and Gamble in a, in a new factory. They're starting 60 kilometers south of Moscow. Another gal spent two years in Hungary as an English teacher. A brother who's pioneering an orphanage in the war-torn land of Lebanon. Another brother who's in India long-term because he married an Indian lady ministering to Hindus. A man who's put together a band and is ministering in Latin America, writing worship music in Spanish. 
another couple that are working with Louis Palau with the 82,000 movement, the movement that's seeking to bring closure to reaching all the unreached people. And that's just really, friends, a small sampling because God says, I'm going to give you people and they are going to go to the nations. Not mine. God says, this is my doing and you're going to participate with me. And friends, this is a doable thing for every one of us. Maybe not in the same way I've done it, but God will give you unique vision. He'll give you the faith and the authority so that in 20 years we're all to get together. You know what we'd find? We'd find nations that have been touched through Kaiapha. Nations that have been changed and transformed by brothers and sisters that you've had the privilege of discipling. Now let me just give you a couple practical things that I think will help us to, to build the mission's vision in our fellowship. Number one is you've got to kindle your own mission's vision. You have to be a world Christian. We say in discipleship that many things are better caught than taught. See, they've got to see the passion in our lives. That means that they need to see us praying for the nations. And I really believe, friends, that fasting has to be a part of our lives. I'm not telling you how and when. That's between you and the Lord. I have a regular schedule of fasting. And that's just been a part of my life for many, many years. You need to do that if you're going to be a world Christian. We need to live simple lifestyles. I'm not making a plea here for poverty. I am making a plea for simplicity. Brady's taught some tremendous stuff on living a simple life for the sake of the gospel. And see, our students are going to watch that in us. If they see simplicity in our lives, that's going to motivate them like, oh, maybe I don't need to buy two boats and three snowmobiles. Maybe I can just get along with one microwave and, and not have a television at all. Amen? Hallelujah. See, see, but, but they've got to see it in us. We can't just tell them what to do. They've got to see it in your life. And, and all of you have experienced the incredible bonding that takes place. That story that Lauren talked about last night. There's incredible bonding that happens as you invest your money in your students. Somebody's going on a missions trip and you write them a check for $100. That does incredible things relationally. It bonds us together. And stay informed. Stay informed as to what's happening in missions today. The, the resource people put the Missions Frontier magazine in your packet. That is a great missions magazine. That'll keep you challenged, but you need to stay informed. So you need to be a world Christian. Secondly, we give a missions tithe to a former UCF student somewhere in the world. Every, we take a monthly offering, and so a 10% of that goes to a student. During that time, we have opportunity to talk about John Hess, who's ministering in Poland, or Joni Wise that's in Vietnam. See, it's an opportunity to sow the vision again, and they are participating just in their mission's tithe. Uh, third way is that I use former students to speak at our fellowship whenever they are back in the country. I try to do three to four a year, and I cannot tell you the impact of, of this, because Dave Williams comes in, the brother that's working in Lebanon, living under some very difficult situations. He comes in and says, 10 years ago, I was sitting where you're sitting. I used to go to this fellowship. I participated in the worship. I was in a small group. Dick discipled me. And now God called me and I'm in Lebanon. And boy, I tell you, the lights start going on in students' lives because now it's not just the professional bigwig that's coming in. We need to use those people. But this is one of them. You know, and they, they tell their stories about how, man, I was in this very room 10 years ago and God spoke to me and called me to this nation. Incredible impact because that sows seeds. And they may not be the best speakers. They're not always the most articulate. But boy, the heart is there and the identification with students. I encourage you to do that. And in our prayer, we, we make praying for the nations part of our, 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 our prayer strategy. We meet Four mornings a week from 7.30 to 8.30 for prayer. And on one of those days, we pray specifically for the nations. I periodically will read an excerpt from a newsletter. And I'll pass around a clipboard with a card. And I'll say, now why don't you just write a note of encouragement to this person that's on the field? Maybe you don't even know them. But just write a word of encouragement. It's bringing missions awareness into their lives. And then I, I write a, a monthly letter to our fellowship. And I'll write excerpts that I get from newsletters and say, listen, listen, John Hess, this is what's happening in Poland. I'm just planting seeds. And I pray over that and I say, now God, somebody's going to read this and something's going to click for missions in their heart. It's just another way of presenting the vision. Another way is, is the perspectives class out of the U.S. Center for World Missions. It's an accredited class that gives people a tremendous understanding of what's happened in missions and what's happening today. Um, Barry's, Barry and Alicia's manual is another great resource. 
to, uh, to, that I think we can use in small groups, small group Bible studies to sow a missions vision. Another way is encourage short-term trips. We've done several trips to Mexico. My associate Paul Austin has done a great job in leading and coordinating those trips for the state of Montana. And finally, encourage you to use mobile teams. Mobile teams through things like the Caleb Project, which is a, a thing out of the U.S. Center. YWAM teams, their communication teams are usually really hot. And boy, it just again, you're just sowing vision for missions. People don't have to go to YWAM. They use OMF or whatever you have access to in, in your area. But use these people. Let's see that sowing seeds that God can use. As I mentioned, I've been at this 20 years. In, the, in that time, I've probably seen 2,000 students come through our ministry on, on some kind of you know, basis, more than just visiting once. And out of those 2,000 students today, there's 40 in full-time missions work around the world. Now, that isn't a great percentage. You know, that's, that's 2%. But friends, if one a year is prepared, we're going to do the job in the world. See? You know? And it, see, it came so slowly, and it just kind of trickled in that first 10 years. And, you know, I'd wonder, well, you know, is, ever, is this ever really going to happen? Well, God was preparing the way, and it was happening. Another thing that I see is because of spreading the mission's vision in our fellowship, the people that aren't necessarily called to go, and you guys, in reality, most people are not going to be called to go. Most of us are going to be called to stay here and live a kingdom life here. But I find that those whom God does raise up and call out that a substantial level of their support comes from their peers after they graduate and then they get a job somewhere and they have more resources than they had while they were college students. And I find that the heart is there. A lot, Probably half of Vaughn and Sue's support comes from peers that were with them in college 10 years ago. And they, because they have a heart for it, they know these people. And that thing of Lauren was talking about last night about the personal connection. See, we can sow that in, in, our, in our relationships through campus ministry. I have a friend who's a businessman, and, and he has had a heart for missions, but God's given him a business now. It's a multi million dollar business, it's debt free. And his goal in having the business is to release money into missions. That's his whole reason for having it. He's a good employer. He uses that to minister, minister to people. But he gives large volumes of money away. I took a laser printer to Vaughn this summer on, as part of my luggage because Vaughn needed that. And he said, hey, I'll just buy one for you and I'll send it over. That's the kind of person. See, and he, he just gained that missions vision uh, by being a part of the fellowship. And although he is probably not going to be one that will go to the nations, he is diligently praying and sending those who will. You can do this, friends. You can't do my vision, but you can do the vision that God is giving to you. Stay with it long enough to see the fruit. See, it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. You've got to stay with it long enough. It's going to take years, years before these things really come to fruition. But when they come to fruition, see, Vaughn is a man that is strategically affecting Albania. Through the church planters, I, w I had dinner with the military attaché while I was there this summer, and this is what him and his wife told me. They're wonderful people. Had this elegant meal at the, you know, at this really nice place. And you know what he told me? He said, "Vaughn stands a head above all the other missionaries here, because he is such a man of integrity and humility." I thought, "Oh Jesus." See, those years of living together, the humblings and the confrontation and the grinding that we did on each other's lives is paying off. I'm a better person for it. He's a better person for it. And he has a tremendous level of respect and trust in that country because of the man that he is inside. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you this morning. I realize we got to, we got to get to brunch here. I felt the Lord wants to minister to us in two ways this morning. Number one, if you don't have a vision from God yet, if you can't really say, yes, I have a mandate from God, then I want to pray for you. I can't give you a vision. You know, I can't pass that sort of thing out. Jesus passes that out. But I'd like to pray for you this morning that Jesus will give you vision. There's no shame in that. If you don't have vision, just say, well, Lord, you know, I just haven't, haven't connected with this yet, but I want it. I want something that will motivate my life. See, vision is like a nuclear reaction going off in your spirit. It motivates you. It propels you. It energizes you. It keeps you going when all hell breaks loose and everything seems to fall apart and you just 
facing total disaster, there's still something inside that says, I'm going to go with it. No matter what it takes, I'm going to do it because God told me to do it. Blessed is the person that has vision. Blessed is the person that has that kind of motivation. And God wants to give you that if you don't have it. And then secondly, some of you have vision, but it's, it's grown cold. It's, it's kind of just simmering on, on the stove. It isn't bright and boiling like it needs to be. And I feel the Lord wants to encourage you and he wants to stimulate you and just rekindle that vision this morning. So what I'd like you to do, if, if you don't have a vision and would like to receive, I'd like you to come up into this area here and the national staff's going to come and join me in prayer. And if you need a rekindling, you just know that, man, I've had something from God, but it's, it's just grown cold and I need it to be rekindled. Then would you come up here? And Kim's, Kelly's going to lead us in a, in a song as we close, but I'd invite you to come. I would just consider it a great privilege to pray with you. The national staff is going to join me. Let's come and receive from Jesus. you need your vision rekindled over here and if you need a new vision from God over here thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder podcast for more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick visit fatherheartministries.net